What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 11 of Twigs and Twine. Let's just get into it. Say hi to the boys real quick. Alex, how you doing? Not too bad. How do you do? Doing good, doing good. Joey Ferlano, what's up, buddy? Not much. Same old. Same old, same old. How's the uh, the aeration business going? Uh, breaking back. On and off hours, you know the deal. Not enough hours in the day. Nope. Anyways, before we get into it, I just want to say this week we were joined by ex-pro uh, hockey player Brady Leovold, the founder of the Puck Support group, mental health activist, substance abuse activist to trying to help people who are struggling with mental health and substance abuse issues. Honestly, one of the most inspiring and powerful interviews that I've ever done in my life. Such an amazing cause, such an amazing story on his end. We're going to be uh, working closely with Puck Support in the future. We're going to be getting the word out because it's, it's a cause that needs to come to light. Mental health and mental health and addiction have been put on the back burner in the past. There's been so many stories that people haven't heard about. Stories of people who have with mental health issues who are in the hockey world who have committed suicide because like they haven't been able to go and ask for help. And this organization is trying to bring those stories to light while also trying to help people who are currently battling with these issues to seek out help, to seek out some assistance in trying to get back to normal or at least some form of normal. So honestly, like on behalf of all of us, Brady, good on you and best of luck with everything. We're going to be doing some things in the future to help out in any way possible. Anyway, so let's get right into the news uh, real quick before we get you off to the interview. I announced earlier on this week that the Women's IHF uh, World Championship, that which was supposed to start, I believe, next week in Halifax? Sorry, May the 6th. May the 6th, it was supposed to start in Halifax. Next, next week. Yeah, yeah. And in Halifax, it's being postponed until they're hoping until the end of the summer and they're looking for a new location because of the, the current state of the third wave of the pandemic and the Canadian board regulations, the quarantine laws and all that. It's being uh, postponed for now. And honestly, it's a hard thing to, to hear, especially with the emergence of women's hockey and trying to become more equal in the women's game and the men's game. This is something that's just, it's hard to hear. And I'm hoping for all the best. I'm hoping that they could find a, a new home for this year, just to get some games in to show off the women's game. And also this tournament at the end of the summer, it's gonna act as a bit of a precursor to the Olympics that are supposed to be happening in, I wanna say Beijing in this winter. Yeah, yeah. So just get your, your take on it real quick, boys. Start off with you, Alex. You hit the nail on the head when you are saying how, um, you know, we're trying to expand the game for the, for women's hockey and this being pushed back because of the COVID concerns over there in, in Nova Scotia and Halifax, it, it really puts a dent into everything. And, you know, the women's hockey, they've been, well, this last year, they've really been thrown on the back burner and they haven't really had much of a chance to show what they can do. And, you know, hopefully they're able to find another place to play and they are great hockey players themselves. Yeah, I think both of you really covered it all. It's really unfortunate. I just wish they could have found a new location. Maybe somewhere in the States would have worked. I believe the U18 championship is taking place in Texas, if I'm correct. Yeah, so it's unfortunate that uh, it was in Halifax this year. And obviously with the Canadian strict border laws and what have you, it's just a bad timing and uh, unfortunate. Hopefully we get to see these girls play soon. Second consecutive year that Nova Scotia has pulled the plug on the tournament. Granted, they're supposed to do it last year, but um, this year with the pandemic and all, it's a little more 
understandable, I guess, but the past two years have been, even last year, it was hundred percent understandable because or, it was supposed to happen last year in May. And we were like right in the middle of the first wave of the pandemic. Yeah, and fair enough, it's fair enough. like, especially back then, like at least now we know more, honestly, I understand it more last year than this year, because yeah. now we know more about the virus. We know, like more people are getting vaccinated. You could in theory make like, even if, even if you were to push it back a month and for, and make all the players get vaccinated before you come in, mm-hmm. but. I don't know, I guess, because I, I also, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't know if it's one of the maritime provinces, I'm not sure if it's Nova Scotia or if it was Newfoundland or uh, New Brunswick, that they're even stricter with their border laws compared to others. Like, the cases in the maritimes are not high by any stretch of the imagination. They're, they're not yeah. high at all, even from a percentage standpoint. But I get it, that why they did it, because they're trying to keep the cases as low as possible. Like, everything non-essential they don't want in the cities, which it sucks, but I completely agree with it, like, at the same time, because... We're trying to fight through this thing and the vaccine rollout has been picking up speed in Canada. Two, three weeks ago, we were talking about how Canada was only at like 2 million vaccinations, 2.5 million vaccinations. And now where I think I last my check was 4.4 or something. So it is picking yeah, up speed. It is picking quickly. up steam. And also just, I got to say this off the cuff. I got, I was able to get vaccinated this week and everybody who's on listening, who's on the fence about it, get it. I'm telling you, get the vaccine because not even for your own safety, just to protect those around you. Like more calm. Like when I go to see my grandparents, for example, granted, we still stay with masks on and stay like a distance, try and stay outside as much as possible. But at the same time, like even with masks on and outside with no vaccine, there is still a possibility. Now my, my grandparents are vaccinated. They have their first dose. I have my first dose and it brings a sense of calm and like older people in general, they do appreciate it. Like, let's be honest here, guys, like granted like this virus can affect anybody differently. But statistics show that the older you are, the more at risk you are of yeah. getting getting a severe case and dying. I've had friends of mine who've lost both their grandparents in a two-week span from this virus. So it's just get it done. As soon as you're eligible, book an appointment. If anyone in Ontario, I went to the one in Markham and it's so smooth, the process there. Like everything is so organized and it's so clean. Like it's a safe place. Like I felt safe to be in there. And the amount of protocol that they have and just even if, though you see the the side effects of oh, arm, you, your arm's gonna hurt for a bit which oh yeah my arm hurt was hurting for a few days but it's a small price you pay for a couple days of pain just for the ability to potentially save somebody's life anyway okay. so enough of that like let's move on so at the nhl gm meeting was this week and the nhl they proposed two new schedules for the, this upcoming season, the 21-22 season. And I'm going to have to go through this slowly because this is a, it's a little bit much. So option one is 32 games home and home with the opposing conference. 24 games with the other division. So three games versus the other division in the conference per team. So three by three per team. With the remaining 26 games being within the division. So four games versus five teams and three games versus the other two. The likely having a normal playoffs, conference-based, the wild card whatever like you know the drill and the second option being the home and home with the other three divisions so one game at home one game away for 48 games four games with versus each divisional opponent totaling 28 games and six games left over for elliot friedman used the term special scheduling which honestly like he mentioned it as like for say for example if the league wants a few extra vancouver toronto games they can add it in with those six remaining games and also uh likely having the same division-based playoff format as this year with the first two rounds being within the division top four teams and then the teams playing opposite other divisions for the third and and the Stanley Cup final. So let's just go through this like as a whole like it's I know it's a little bit confusing but boys what do you think that the best course of action would be from a fan's perspective and from a like realistic perspective because personally 
Granted, this all does depend on the state of the pandemic come October. Both of these situations, unless I'm a con in, unless I'm an idiot, both of these situations are both calling for an 82 game season. And I'm split up from a fan's perspective because I really like what they did this year with the division based games, like playing each team like 70 times is too much. But like, I like when to see more division based games so you can have build up more of a rivalry with the teams like the Toronto and Montreal, the Toronto, the Ottawa, even Toronto and Winnipeg, that became more of a rivalry now this mm -hmm. year compared to the previous years because they played each other more than twice. Yeah. Part of me wants to go, would love to go back to the older style just because it's something that like I'm used to, but like the division-based playoff format, I quite like it. Instead, instead of having to deal with potential of having playing the like a team from the opposite division in the first round, I like the chance to have more rivalry-based playoff series. So actually to put a long story short, I would go with option two, the more division-based games and the uh, division-based playoff formatting. The six games left over for special scheduling, I got no clue what that's supposed to mean and how that's going to be decided, but whatever. From a fan standpoint, I want to see the same divisions. I mean, I guess you can change them up a little bit, the divisions that we saw this year, the alignment. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm going to have to interrupt you for a second. Both of those options, at least at this moment, uh, state that there's not going to be a Canadian division. So it's going to be back to the old division formats. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm saying from a fan perspective, I'd like to see another year of the Canadian vision so we can get fans into buildings. Let's take the Leafs in Edmonton, for example. The people in Toronto, only see him like once a season or whatever it is. Yeah, it's you know uh, I mean? the opposite. Or, the Western Conference team, like the the cross conference play is usually one home, one away game. Yeah, the people in Toronto, they'll only see McDavid once in a season. And he's so good that everybody wants to see him. You know what I mean? I like those format that we have now where every team is playing seven times. And you brought up the example with the Leafs and Winnipeg. At the time of recording, April 24th, the Leafs played the Jets. And that Thornton and Ehlers going back and forth the entire game, I loved it. I, I don't know about you guys, but I loved it. I enjoyed every minute of it. From a league standpoint, I like the second option, only because, like you said, it's going to be the same playoff format to this season. And I think the NHL has been long overdue for a, um, a different playoff format. Because the other one just, it pissed off so many people. And uh, I prefer this one. Yeah, I might have to agree with both of you. First thing I would like to see the second option in place, especially from the playoffs standpoint. I think over the years, the modern age playoff format is that kind of a bit unfair. And for me, it just doesn't sit right when you have some teams with as many points that they do miss the playoffs. And that's a better team than a team that would make it. And that just makes for better hockey too. It's just basic math, the better team, better hockey. So I'm going to have to agree with Matt on this one. I'm thinking the option b yeah honestly guys like because the league it's well known that out of the, the top four sports yeah let's call it football basketball baseball and hockey the nhl they are lagging behind the other top sports there are top leagues sorry and something needs to change granted i haven't done my research into tv ratings and fans uh reaction to this format that have this season which i'm not saying to do this exact format like obviously i, I want to see pittsburgh come to toronto i want to see crosby and malkin come to toronto but uh, to play but the more division-based games that we have the better i would love to see the canadian division stick but i know it's not gonna happen because of time zones and all that but like i would love to see more canadian games play like like you mentioned mcdavid only comes to toronto once a year it's unacceptable at the very least the canadian teams across the division should play at least four times total twice in each building there has to be a better way to do it you know there's so much talent we don't see in person in the west in the western conference that you know it kind of deserves to 
be showcased for the fans who are fans of the teams in the Eastern Conference. I understand it'd be more for like travel and you know what I mean? The whole, you get on a plane so much more often, you're getting on the team bus and whatever, but I think it would generate a little more revenue. I could be wrong. Talking strictly from a business standpoint and it would generate more revenue, but also the cost would be a lot higher. There would have to be some deal in place that would lower the cost for the teams. Or at the very least, get some help from the league itself. The thing is, because of the pandemic and no fans being in the building, we've lost one source of revenue. But all these teams, they have sponsors on their helmets now. So they're all getting another source of income. It's not even close to an even trade-off in terms of that. For a team like Florida, for example, possibly. But yeah. I know people are expecting me to say Buffalo, but Buffalo's arena is, f is filled with fans of the away team. Toronto. But like, for example, a team like Toronto, where the, the arena is packed on a nightly basis, putting a little Scotiabank logo on the, on the helmet, unless teams get a stupidly good deal, they sign a deal, a sponsorship deal for a stupid amount of money with a company, which wouldn't surprise me. But if I'm talking realistically here, the helmet sponsorships do not even come close to replicating the revenue from uh, seats, from concessions, from all that shit. I think there's always a way to, there's going to be a way to get it done. Like there has to be a way yeah. to get it done in a way that all teams would benefit from. I know a team like Otto with Eugene Melnick, that chief fuck, he wouldn't, he wouldn't go for something like that because again, costing more money. This, this is the same guy who's had an internal cap there forever and always says, oh yeah, we're gonna spend to the cap, we're gonna spend to the cap. Okay, they spent to the cap, but because they picked up people on expiring contracts on July 2nd after their $7 million bonuses were paid. I'm never gonna forget that. He picked up Nikita Zaitsev hours after his bonus was paid from Toronto. Hours after his like uh, 4 million, or was it 3.75, $4 million bonus was paid? I don't remember exactly, but we could do an entire segment on that guy and how he does not like to spend money. Entire segment? We could do an entire like, show on it. On his franchise. I, I don't know how he still controls that organization, but it's tough. I don't know. Uh, it's a good idea for the summer, actually. Anybody listening, send us a DM on Instagram or on Twitter at Twigs and Twine Podcast and let us know if we should have a show like that where we get into like just our opinion on whether or not we think certain people should still be like Melnick running a team, like our takes on certain issues like that, because especially once the summer comes around, when there's going to be nothing to talk about after like the first week of free agency, we're going to have to find something to talk about. So if you guys think that'd be a good idea, the DMs are always open, respond within two hours. Anyways, uh, yeah, I think, I think we should send it off to uh, Brady Leavold right now. We hope you guys enjoy. We are proud to have on longtime pro and founder of the Puck Support Network and the Hockey to Hell and Back podcast, Brady Leovold. Brady, how are you doing today? Hey, guys. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the Twigs and Twine podcast. Happy to be here. All right. Pleasure to have you on. Pleasure to have you on. I just want to begin right at the beginning of your junior career. So you played a few seasons with the Swift Current Broncos. You had a pretty damn good stats. At least that's what it says on your elite prospects and your hockey DB. But before we started recording, we found out it was even better than that. But once you came to Kelowna in the 07-08 season, you completely went off for 69 points, 27 goals, 42 assists, plus 22 over a point per game pace. So what changed from Swift Current to Kelowna? Like what just clicked? Was it the, like how was the situation there different from in comparison? Yeah, you know, it's a long, it's a long story. I'll try to give you the Coles Notes version. So, you know, I actually made the Swift Current Broncos as a 16-year-old and, you know, I had a girlfriend back home. I didn't want to stay, so I left. I ended up playing one game that year. I got an assist. I went back as a 17-year-old and, you know, things weren't that great either. I ended up taking a, what would now be considered a mental health leave of absence during that season, but still managed to win the Swift Current Broncos Rookie of the Year, which, you know, obviously 
you know, it was a pretty cool accomplishment. Uh, heading into the next season, you know, I was, you know, had every chance to play top line and probably would have, you know, got drafted with the amount of time I would have played and things were looking good. Same thing. I ended up at seven games into that season, quit that team, went back back home and played in the BC Hockey League with the Burnaby Express, who, you know, they ended up winning the, the national championship that year. I played online with Kyle Turris, but same thing, started to slip into, that was the early stages of my addiction. I ended up leaving that team as well. And the following season, you know, I ended up, begging Dean Chanel, who is now the assistant coach of the Carolina Hurricanes, to you know give me a chance, right? I knew I made a mistake. I wanted to go back. And it's nothing against the town of Swift Current. I loved it. I had great billets. It was just some personal issues, you know, stemming back to my childhood. I was sexually abused and a lot of, you know, underlying issues there. And so, you know, I ended up going back there and I think I only played 52 games or something that season. And for the first half of the season, I was on the fourth line. It did not matter what I did. The coach was like, yeah, you want to play here? You're going to have to earn your spot, you know? And so that's what I did and ended up getting pneumonia that year too that's why I only played 52 games you know I, I was out for you know a month and a half and you know finished the season pretty strong but you know had some off-ice troubles in Swift Current so the next season I got traded to the Kelowna Rockets and you know I'm from British Columbia originally and I went to Kelowna and I don't know something clicked obviously I played on a line with Jamie Ben, who's the captain of the Dallas Stars which you know certainly helped Tyson Berry quarterback our power play line with Tyler Myers and then uh, you know Luke Shen kind of flipped in there sometimes too. So I was surrounded by great players. There's no question about it. But you know, just I think for me personally, my mental headspace was so much better. I actually enjoyed going to the rink. I enjoyed playing. Uh, I think I was actually better at 17 years old than I was at 20. By 20, I had lots of hand breaks and stuff because I started to fight a lot. And you know, I terrible arthritis in my hand now but I don't know you know it's it just it goes back this is what I tell the kids that I coach now is that you can have all the skill in the world you can have all the ability in the world but if you do not have the mental capacity and the way to put it all together then you know your career is never going to be as as good as it should be and probably never pan out and so I don't know I, I think things just clicked in Kelowna because I was in such a better headspace I was enjoying the game uh, and you know I found a lot of success and was able to sign with the Tampa Bay Lightning after which was pretty cool experience as well yeah so i actually want to get into that experience with tampa bay obviously as a kid growing up in canada your dream is to play pro hockey play for an nhl team and just take us through how that came about and what your experience was playing on that preseason camp playing on a, a tryout basis with the lightning yeah, I mean, it was really cool. It was back in 2009. And uh, honestly, guys, with the way my junior career went, I had, you know, nine lives in junior, you know, there was nobody in junior that, you know, had more opportunities than me by quitting and everything going on. Uh, what I failed to mention is I actually had uh, two girls pregnant my last year of junior, and it was just a disaster. I know that sounds really bad. Both were my girlfriends at different times. And I wanted to be a firefighter. I was like, I don't even I don't even want to play pro hockey now. By the time I was 20, I was like, man, I'm going to be a dad here coming up and it's whatever. So maybe that's why I played so well that year because I just was enjoying it. But I think it was back in 2009. So I had the opportunity to sign with St. Louis, the Rangers, Tampa, a couple other teams because I had a really good playoff. I led the first round in goals in the WHL. I think I had six goals in seven games before we lost out. And so I, I had a really great opportunity. Um, Tampa was changing ownership and I ended up, it was Len Berry, Tyson Berry's dad was going to take over 
over the team. So that's why I kind of opted to sign with them. Looking back on it, I kind of wish I would have signed with the St. Louis Blues, but that's neither here nor there. 2009, Steve Stamkos was drafted first overall. The first time he put on a Lightning jersey, I got to play on his line. And it was really cool and just a, a great experience. But for me, myself, I didn't prepare. By the time I finished playing in the Western Hockey League, I was uh, a full-blown drug addict and I didn't train. You know, So by the time I got to camp, uh, I felt kind of out of place. Uh, whether or not I looked at a place, I, I still don't know to this day, but I certainly felt that way. And, you know, I ended up, you know, going to preseason and then, you know, getting sent down to the American League, which was really cool playing in Norfolk, only played in four games. I got hurt, blew out my knee. And, you know, that's kind of when things really went off the rails back in 2009. This is Oxycontin days. You guys may be a little young to remember how prevalent it was in hockey back then. But, you know, I got prescribed a, a very high, powerful painkiller that just ended up taking me on a journey that I would have never expected. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But uh, yeah, growing up in Canada, man, we all want to play pro hockey. And, you know, I think it was obviously uh, exciting, uh, but you know, I never believed in myself, right? And I, I don't know, I just, I was always my toughest critic, always doubting myself, always telling myself that I never belonged. Even from the early days in the Western Hockey League, it was always, you know, I'm not as good as these guys or whatever. And, you know, probably wasn't the case, but it goes back to being, you know, mentally strong and, and believing in yourself. But yeah, I mean, what a cool opportunity. Certainly, I'll never forget that. But looking back on it, I just made a ton of mistakes in my hockey career. And that's sort of, you know, why it fell off the tracks, but things are much better now. So I'm, I'm sure, yeah, when any other questions fire away, I'm an open book. Uh, but what a great experience, you know, getting to put on that NHL jersey, even just in preseason, the first game we played against was against the Detroit Red Wings, you know, they came out and their sea of red jerseys and just really cool experience next game was the rangers so playing two original six teams right off the top and it was a really neat experience i'll never forget it uh, so on your instagram you still got a chance to keep that lightning jersey so obviously because alex and i and joey who was unable to make this interview we have no nhl ties so just to answer a question i've been curious about uh, in general in the preseason like do they allow you to keep the jerseys no matter what or you have to go and request to keep them they usually give you one and then they'll, you know, they'll auction them off to the fans or whatever. But, uh, you know, I have the somewhere kicking around. It should be behind me in my podcast studio, but I have the nameplate from my stall and stuff, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning with my name and stuff, the player's handbook with all the breakouts and everything. So I, I have a lot of cool, you know, memories from that and pieces of memorabilia that hopefully be able to hold on to forever. And, uh, you know, it's I've lost a lot though along the way too. You guys can see I actually have probably like you see two jerseys behind me, but I got one there, one there, two here, and two more over here. So you know I got tons of jerseys from my playing days, and I'm one there, two in front of me. So <laughs> you know it, it's really neat. You know anytime, you know especially you know now that I'm a dad and and that and you know just being able to tell my these stories to my kids. Um, there's a lot of negative to it, a lot of things I did wrong, but uh, at the end of the day, nobody can take away the fact that I you know. I was there. I, I played with some of these guys and, and, you know, believe that, you know, if I would have stuck with it and had the right mental capacity, then who knows where I would have ended up. But that's life, man. We, we live and we learn and just lucky it didn't kill me. And <laughs> to be honest, uh, do you remember who your line mates were on your first shift? Yeah, I do. And obviously Stamkos was my, my line mate. He was part of that line, but here is another guy here, Mitch Fadden, who was a WHL all-star and he was actually my roommate in Norfolk. He passed away from a, a fentanyl overdose in 2017, and he was on that line as well. And um, if anybody wants to know more about that 
there's an article on sportsnet.ca just google my name and, and type in sportsnet they did an article on me and in that article i share a story about how the night before that first preseason game you know i was really stressed out and you know this is my friend man and you know there's so many others that and that's a big part of why i started puck support we'll get into that later but yeah there's a story in sportsnet where i you know i share in there that me and this other guy were up the night before partying doing drugs and the next day barry melrose who was the coach of tampa at the time came into the dressing room to read the starting lineup and it was me Mitch and Steve Stamkos and Mitch was the other guy partying with me that night I left his name out uh, in the Sportsnet story because I hadn't talked to him in a few years and so I didn't want to throw him under the bus I didn't want to really you know it wasn't my (laughs) dirty laundry to air out and so once that article came out you know I really was trying to find him and I was like man like Mitch you're gonna laugh so hard when you see this article you know we're idiots like whatever and you know I was trying to find him and then finally someone's like hey what's your phone number and again somebody I didn't know who now I'm friends with but Justin Bryan he he's like hey he's like what's your phone number and hey okay here's my phone number which kind of wasn't un- unordinary because a lot of people have been reaching out to me and people with mental health and addiction issues and i thought maybe it was just another one of those and he's like hey you should probably sit down but i'm best friends with mitch fadden's brother and mitch fadden passed away in 2017 and i was just like whoa you know and so that was that was a real tough blow very easily could have been me with all the overdoses that i had myself and and uh, just such a great hockey player, man. Mitch Fadden was one of the best players that I played against in the WHL. And tragically, we lost him. And, you know, so I'll never, ever, ever forget, you know, that first shift just for that reason. And actually, there's it's black and white picture. But there's a picture of me, Stamkos, and Fadden, which you guys can't really see. This is a book that my dad did for me. It's just pictures from my career all the way from the beginning to the end, which is really cool. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, I'll never, ever, ever forget that. Hearing that news, it was it was extremely tough. So uh, you touched into a little bit with your NHL career playing preseason. I just want to take a quick step back to your pro debut with the uh, Victoria Salmon Kings in 08-09. you mind just taking us through the experience and how uh, the chance came about to live out a childhood dream? And then you're, you're playing in your home province too. There's the first goal puck right there. My first pro goal versus Alaska, April 4th, 2008. Um, so, Yeah. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, we lost out in playoffs to the Seattle Thunderbirds when I was playing with Kelowna. And I got a call from the Norfolk Admirals, the American Hockey League, and they wanted me to go down there. They were not going to clinch a playoff spot. So they only had like three or four games left in the season, but they wanted to get me down there. They weren't able to get, secure a work visa for me to get down there. So, you know, the next best option was to go to Victoria in the East Coast League because it was the only Canadian pro team at the time in the East Coast League, you know, other than Manitoba and the A and that. So, yeah, it was it was a, such a fun opportunity, great opportunity. And I only played like one shift my first game because I was so tired. Like I just got back from, but I had to play a certain amount of games to make the playoff roster. So they needed me to play that very next day. I got there and had to play that night. They only put me out for one shift and then the next game uh, I actually scored the game winning goal to clinch the West Division title which was really cool and then I scored in my next game as well so great memories and it was actually a pretty nice goal that I scored there my first pro goal and another sad story to go with that my assistant coach there the very first person that I met when I walked in that dressing room was Quentin Van Horlick him and I became very close over the years and you know I found out that he also passed away from an overdose uh, an intentional overdose as well so you know, another tough loss in the hockey community. These are stories that people don't really hear about, but I'm bringing to the forefront. So yeah, I mean, great experience in Victoria, great group of guys and, you know, 
anytime you get to play pro hockey, regardless if it's in the coast or the A or the show, it's truly a gift, right? Like very few people will be able to say that they made it to pro hockey. I understand that. But I think at the time, you don't really realize it. You're just kind of coasting through life. And if there's one thing that I could do, guys, is just take it all in and just kind of enjoy it a little bit more. Spend more time at the rink. Ask more questions to the guys. Just build you know, stronger friendships, actually get to know people, have conversations with these guys, you know, including my coach, because who knows, maybe we could have helped them or could have helped me from having to go through what I went through. So great experience, but always reflecting back. I wish I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. Your career also took you all over Canada and the U.S. You also had a brief stint in the, in the Netherlands playing with, I'm sorry if, if I uh, butchered the name a little bit, but the Destel Trappers Tilburg. Did that's I say right. that correctly? Yeah, yeah right. that's, that's it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, it was a such a great opportunity for me to go there. Uh, they gave me a brand new car, brand new place, uh, making good money. But by that time, I was heavily addicted to Oxycontin, not knowing really at that time what it really entailed. I, I knew that, you know, you become physically dependent on them. But, you know, going there, I only took a handful of pills with me thinking that I could gradually just get off them and then be okay. And, you know, I got there and man, I was, I was very, very sick. I didn't sleep for like 20 days. And then finally I was just like, ah, you know what? I, I can't do this. I got to go home and, you know, went home and really got into my addiction. But you know, another experience in my life that I wish I could have enjoyed more. There was such a great setup, a great group of guys, but just, you know, my addiction got in the way of that as it did so many times in my life. <laughs> You mentioned uh, your struggles with addiction. It's, I have to admit, it's a hard topic for me to talk about, just the amount of lives that have been lost to it. And I apologize if I'm not talking so as normal as I usually am, just a little bit of a touchy subject. Like you mentioned, throughout your career, you struggled with addiction, substance abuse uh, problems. Can you just take us through how that first started? Yeah, I know. I think it all stems back to my childhood, you know, obviously going through the sexual abuse and, you know, a couple other things that were traumatizing to me and not being able to deal with them or not feeling that I was able to deal with them uh, or share that with anybody. And, you know, so you know, through high school and that, you know, I was the, the hockey player. I didn't do drugs, you know, sure. Did I drink on the weekends and that? Yeah, but, you know, hockey was my life and I didn't really associate with people that did drugs. It wasn't for me. And I just remember being at a at this music festival and that was the very first time that I tried ecstasy and that was me breaking one of my own rules right that's something that I don't do I just don't do that and you know had a lapse in judgment and was like ah one time won't hurt and you know from there that's really where the addiction started that's where you know I started to even though it didn't last with that certain substance for you know a prolonged period of time I mean six months, I guess it's a long time, but you know, it obviously, I graduated to other things, right? So by making that decision first, then all of a sudden, you know, moving to cocaine wasn't such a big jump from ecstasy. And then, you know, so the cocaine was really my problem, you know, 1920, 21. And then I told you guys about my knee injury. And so that was something that I can't even still to this day put into words for you guys, you know, just not really knowing too much about, you know, opiates and what they do to you and, and how they affect you and how dependent you physically become on them. If you don't have them, you can't do anything. You can't just stop doing them and expect to live your life like you're throwing up, you're on the toilet, you can't sleep, you're sweating. It hurts. Like it, it absolutely hurts. And so, you know, it just, it's one of these things that it's like, man, it just, it's really hard to stop because you don't want to feel that way. And then, you know, as soon as you have, you take it, you don't feel that way. And so, you know, from there, I remember a couple of people being like, oh, you know, Oxycontin is the same thing as heroin. And I'd be like, yeah, right. I'm not a heroin addict. And I wasn't at the time, but 
you know, I was defending it, be like, no, these are prescription. And I did have a prescription for them. But by that time, you know, I was starting to hit the street and trying to find them everywhere else and, you know, doing things that I would never normally do. And, you know, then all of a sudden my supply gets cut off and then I'm really in the streets. So I'm meeting these, you know, marginalized people who are now, this guy I was going to meet all the time for my pills. He was always doing heroin and he'd always offer it to me and be like, are you crazy, man? Like, I'll never do that, right? Like that is never, right? And sure enough, the one day he... You know, I couldn't find pills anywhere for like two days and I was so sick and I went and saw this guy and he's there doing the heroin. He's like, here, you want to feel better? Just do it. And sure enough, I did it. And I think I did Oxycontin twice after that. And I just switched right to heroin. It was a lot easier to find. It was cheaper. It was, and it was just a progression from there. Then you really start to hang out with people that, you know, are in the same life. And, you know, by the time I was 24, turned into an intravenous drug user, the worst, the worst of the worst, man. Like I, you know, it, it was bad. That and you know from there did every drug in between and ended up in jail and you know, I've spent three years in jail of my life due to my addiction and I look back on it now and you know, it was one of the best experiences of my life it, it truly made me who I am today and it, I mean it could have went the other way you know I, I got caught up in with some bad people you go to jail and you, you meet more people that know worse things and more crimes and more schemes and this it's like crime school so it could have went either way and it did for a bit but now very 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 lucky that i was able to pull myself out of it i just celebrated 14 months clean and i've been out of jail for almost two years now and it was about i don't know 11 years of just sheer hell guys of homelessness psych wards jail just complete loss no connection to the hockey world at all no idea who i was just trying to be whoever i had to be to get the things that i wanted which was now fentanyl was the last six years and 10 overdoses plus i mean 10 is just the number i say it was probably more like anywhere between like 16 20 it's just easier to say 10 because i know 10 for sure very lucky to be alive very 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 lucky to be alive several suicide attempts as well and you know just uh, i really shouldn't be here to have this conversation with you guys and i feel very lucky that i am and you know so that kind of transitions into what I'm doing now. And that's really trying to make a difference in the hockey community and beyond. Because what I found, you know, when I started my own podcast is that my story was not uncommon, maybe in some cases, still a little bit extreme. But you know, I just recently had Ian White on my podcast. And if you guys haven't listened to that one, or anybody hasn't listened to that one, you should really go listen to that. This is a guy that played for the Toronto Maple Leafs, Detroit, and a few other teams. I played with him in junior, and he was doing fentanyl in between periods while playing in the NHL. So it's a very tough world. Uh, as a hockey player, people only see the games and the fans and the cheering and, and everything else, but they don't understand the other side of it, like the commitment that it takes and the pressure and the business side of it that when all of a sudden you're not needed and they're like, okay, you're gone. And it's like, what the hell am I going to do with my life now? It's It can be very troubling. And that goes back to guys like Mitch. And if I turn my computer, I add one of those people. There's a collage of pictures that I have on Puck Support, but every one of my podcasts, I add another one of those uh, individuals to the wall that we've lost either suicide or overdose. And you guys probably be surprised how many there really are. And uh, I'm just trying to uh, use my story to, you know, bring awareness to the fact that it is a problem in the hockey community. And these are things that people do not want to talk about. You know, I think that we need to start having these conversations because this stuff is real. Yeah, I really admire you starting your own podcast to bring light to this situation amongst not only hockey players, but the athletes to anybody else who can relate to it. It's tough. You said that the reason you started was to bring light. Was there anybody else that kind of inspired you to start it? Or is it just solely your decision to do it? 
Yeah, I mean, it was pretty much just my decision to do it. And it's been a process and we're still a long ways from where I want to be. Next spring, I'm going to be rollerblading across Canada to raise, you know, awareness and money for mental health. I actually just did my first training session today. I've not been active in these last 10 years, but was able to bang out 11 and a half kilometers in 37 minutes, which was pretty good. I mean, you know, Mars Blade or anybody in the hockey community, Mars Blade's huge right now. They've been really gracious. They're going to supply, you know, all the stuff that I need to get across the country, which is really cool. And um, the support that I've received, you know, personally, but also on the puck support side is is mind blowing, right? Like it got Doug Gilmore on speed dial, Darren McCarty, like, you know, all these guys that I watched growing up and idolized are now my friends. And uh, I sometimes, you know, pinch myself and go, really, man, like you were just in jail two years ago. And, you know, now you're sitting here with this platform and these wonderful people supporting you. And, you know, I just feel again, it goes back to what I said earlier, like, are you deserving of all this? And, you know, I'm finally coming around where it's like, you know what, I've, I've worked my butt off to get to here. And I've had to go through a lot. And I do a lot every single day for my own recovery. But I also you know, my phone is nonstop all day, every day with people, former players and parents and coaches and you name it, reaching out with stories of their own with mental illness or addiction. And, you know, it's so common, unfortunately, you know, we all probably don't have to look very far around our own personal circles to find somebody that has been affected by alcoholism, addiction or mental illness. And usually mental illness will tie into one of those two other things, if not both. So it is common. It's very sad, but it's here and it's here to stay. Like mental illness and addiction is not ever going anywhere. But what we can do is start to kind of normalize the fact that it is here and start to make people feel more comfortable about coming out and asking for help and asking for support. Because I know for me, I didn't want anybody to know that I was doing what I was doing with the drugs. Like I just totally secluded myself and found all these people I thought were my friends who weren't, wasn't talking to my family, didn't talk to my kids, like you name it, I did it. And you know, it's just, it's the power of addiction and sitting here on the other side now, since I started to share my story and start to do the right things, right? Like it takes work, you got to keep doing the next right thing, right? And so it's taken all, you know, the last 14 months for me to be in this position. But you know, I, I pretty much got instant support from the hockey community from that first episode that I launched just over a year ago. And you know, for that, there's just infinite gratitude in my heart. Like there's no, I don't know, because if it wasn't for the podcast, it wasn't for puck support and all the people that have supported me in this last year, I'd, I would be, you know, a statistic. Uh, I guarantee it. I don't have any more chances in my life. I've had so many through hockey, through overdose, through everything. And I feel like this is my last chance to really get my life together. Otherwise I'm, I'm going to end up dead and I'm just, I got lots of work to do yet still. So, but yeah, no, it was pretty much, it was pretty much just me that came up with the idea, but certainly a lot of people got around it and encouraged me and helped kind of structure it and get things in place and, and all of that. But as far as the idea goes, started to like uncover all these stories of people who had passed away and I continued to do so and connect with the families. And it's like, I have to do something. Like I'm one of the ones who made it through this. Like I can't just sit here and pretend like, okay, well, I'm okay. So everyone else, you're on your own. Like I, I felt like a, a great responsibility to do something. I didn't know exactly what it was going to be. And I'm still kind of working on that. But I felt like I needed to do something not for me, but just to honor those that we've lost along the way. And then those who still suffer and you know, puck support, we have, you know, a clothing line in that and in every single, you know, article of clothing, like in the inside of this hoodie, 
some Eric Sotos who played for Colorado Avalanche died of an overdose as well. So ranging from guys like Bob Probert and the Probert family has become very, very close with me. I'm actually doing a live with one of his daughters tomorrow. And, you know, right from guys that played in the NHL to kids that were playing minor hockey that we're at a party and died of overdose. Like that is the scope of our database is guys that played in the NHL and girls that played college that, you know, took their own lives. And it's just, it's really sad. These are people's loved ones and, you know, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, and they all have a story and they all deserve to be remembered. And it's terribly sad. Like I'm the one personally who puts those names in the clothing. So every time I do that, I see my own name going in there and it's very near and dear to my heart. And that idea was one thing that I can take credit for. That was something that I came up with on my own. I was like, we're going to honor these people. I'm going to make sure that their names are never forgotten. Like we're going to keep remembering them, keep bringing them up, keep utilizing their stories for good and remember them for who they were not for you know how they left this earth whether it was addicted or a suicide you know they were all great people and the ones that I didn't know I've been able to connect with most of their families and friends and the amount of just support that they've given me but also just the reminder of how amazing these individuals were prior to having to go through these issues and so it's like you know I want people to, that we've lost to be remembered for all the good things they've did not the way that they left this this earth this is what gets me out of bed every single day completely well said and honestly you kind of got into our, uh, our next topic a little bit because we want to get into the puck sport organization and also your instagram handle uh, mental health hockey you're obviously an advocate for mental health ending the stigma around mental health and also with uh, the substance abuse just take us through and the listeners through everything that goes on with the associated with the mental health hockey name my old Instagram handle was hockey to heroin and uh, I ended up sticking up for this kid that was getting bullied and these kids that were picking on him all reported my account and Instagram I guess doesn't have any real human beings that work for their company so they just robotically banned your account and don't even give you a chance to get it back when it should have been them. I used to have a way bigger following on that you know I just had to get this new account last month and so I was a little bit you know pissed about that to be honest especially because I didn't do anything but you know building a following is hard well you know social media started to take off I was you know doing those bad things I was talking about earlier so hashtagging and the algorithms and stuff is you know not my forte but mental health hockey as far as that you know it's my personal handle and I just thought you know what like here's a way to just grab people's attention and, and bring the two together right away and it's just like right there it's like mental health and hockey and that's sort of the the things that I'm bringing to the forefront into illness is something that I dealt with you know virtually my entire life and then the addiction came later and so you know I think mental health is it's without question at the forefront especially with COVID-19 there's a lot of people that are experiencing different symptoms of different mental illnesses that maybe they would have never had to experience before because they've virtually been thrown in prison in some sense and so you know I just you know I want to make sure that you know people know when they're coming by my page that you know this is this is what you're going to get and and we're going to you know continually talk about it and as far as puck support goes I wish I could take credit for that name because I, I honestly believe puck support's such a great name anyone that knows hockey we talk about you know supporting the puck giving players puck support on the ice and then you know off the ice it's puck support it, it's a play on words and I honestly I was just talking to the guy who uh, actually came up with the name I, I took to social media about a year ago and, and said hey this is what I'm doing this is the idea I want to start this organization let's have a little competition let's come up with a name and this guy named Todd McElrath down in Minnesota uh, who had become a Facebook friend deserves all the credit for the name I kind of forgot about that because so many things happened and so you know about I don't know a month ago I was like man 
what was that guy's name that, that actually named puck support? And then finally somebody, and I was like, I tried to go back on all the stuff and all that, but there was way too many posts. Like it would have taken me till next year to find this post, right? So somebody else that doesn't have as many posts who also remembered commenting, like trying to throw out a name. He's like, I remember, like I tried to, you know, give you an idea. So I'll look on mine and he was able to find that it was Todd. And so it's interesting you asked because Todd actually legitimately just sent this picture to me this is him here he just got a hat in the mail but there's the guy who came up with the name right there that's from 10 minutes before we start pressing record so he finally got a hat i was able to send him a hat and remember who it is and give him full credit for the name it's a great name i'm not gonna lie i think it's a great name i can't take credit for it but you know that's what you're gonna get on either of those pages the mental health hockey is my personal page and then you know at puck support is the organization page which i run both hopefully not much longer we have somebody taking all that over company coming to the rescue almost and be like here brady you just focus on what you're good at and we'll take care of the rest so um it's exciting it's amazing to hear that your cause is getting so much deserved recognition from and so much deserved expansion. It's more of a basic question, but what would you say to somebody in the same position that you were throughout your career who's had the struggle with mental illness, who's had the struggle with substance abuse? What would you say to them? What advice would you give to them? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. I try to give advice based on my own personal experience. And obviously, everyone's experience is, is a little bit different, or in some cases, a lot different. But you know, I think just knowing that you're not alone, right? Like, I think man like especially in the hockey community you know it's such a, a macho sport such a competitive sport even on your own team is it ever competitive you know what line am i playing on who am i playing with am i on the power play am i on the penalty kill so you know when you get to the rink it's all business you don't want people to know what's going on with you because you're so worried about losing your spot in the lineup or you know even as a rookie in whatever league you're playing and you're at least for me and a lot of guys I've talked to, just nervous to go to practice, nervous to screw up a pass, nervous to say something wrong or look at the veterans a, a wrong way. Like that's the way it was when I was a rookie in the Western Hockey League. Like the hazing and stuff was pretty bad. And so, you know, I just think that just to remind guys and girls that you're not alone, that there's a lot of, there's a lot more help out there professionally and also than just on the emotional support side from people who aren't doctors or counselors or whatever. People like myself, I'm very lucky, uh, you know, in this past year, I've become quite close with Darren Fleury and Sheldon Kennedy. And so, you know, guys that really started to do this kind of stuff long before I did. So I'm very lucky that I have those guys for mentors, but there's so many great people out there. And, you know, I think if I could give my own self advice when I was 18, I would have just told myself to just be brutally honest, like tell people doesn't mean that you have to tell the world, but tell somebody that I was sexually abused and start to deal with those things. Just know that you don't have to deal with things on your own. There's, there's no reason that anybody ever has to go through anything alone. You know, whether you have great supports already in place as far as family or friends or not, they are all there for people. You know, sometimes you just have to look and if the first time it doesn't work, don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on it. Don't just think that, okay, because it didn't happen the first time or the second time or the third time that, you know, okay, it's nothing's ever going to get better because can't tell you guys how many times I went to rehab, how many different psychiatrists I've seen, how many different counselors I've seen, how many AA and NA meetings I've been to. And I mean, I tried it all. And if I would have, you know, quit on myself, uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. And, you know, I just think that just to know that you're not alone, it doesn't matter what you're going through or what you've gone through. There's somebody out there that has gone through something very similar. And you, you start to realize that, hey, you know what, there's people out there that have gone through this and look where they're at now, like, you know, and, but circling back to the question kind of, you know, 
indirectly answering, you know, I just think for any kids out there that are listening that are in high school surrounding drugs and alcohol and, and all of that, like, you know, just be very careful. Just, just be very wary. Some people might be able to get away with trying different things and experimenting different things and, and they go on and they, they don't get addicted or they go on and they have successful careers or whatever, but there's always that chance. And especially now with, with the drugs that are out there, like fentanyl, and you never know what you're getting. Like, I don't care who you say you're getting it from. The chance is always there that you don't know what it is. And it can always be fatal either that day or it can be a long, slow, painful death. Like I almost, you know, suffered because I was addicted for so long and luckily didn't die. But just be very cautious and just really think before you act. And just because somebody else is doing it or pressuring you to do it or, or it looks fun, you know, just stop and think and, and just ask if this is, you know, really the best decision for you and the things that you value and, and the goals that are aligned in your life for you to achieve. Because, you know, things like drugs and alcohol can derail anything that you have planned in your life very, very, very quickly. Honestly, it's completely well said and such an inspirational story. And obviously through the hockey world has been uh, your medium for like trying to get the, uh, get your word out, obviously given your experience within hockey. Now this season was supposed to be the season, but postponed due to COVID. You've actually decided to make a comeback in the EOSHL, the Maxville Mustangs. So you just take us through that, like just on more of a happier note, like what clicked in your head? Like, okay, shit, I'm, I want to make a comeback. Yeah, I didn't lie. I just kind of wasn't telling the whole story earlier when you asked about, you know, how puck support started and why it started. And I'll try to make it quick. When I first started, I launched this podcast. It was originally called Hockey to Heroin, The Road to Recovery, and since changed to Hockey to Hell and Back. But, you know, after, I don't know, the second or third episode that I launched, I got a random phone call from a guy that I didn't know. And now we're like best friends. And anybody knows Matt Thompson is his name, knows Matt. He, they know that he's not really an extrovert. He's not going to pick up the phone and call some stranger. You know, he's kind of a you know private guy. And he picked up the phone and he called me and he's like, hey, is this Brady? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, uh, and I just listened to your podcast. And, you know, it was like I was listening to my best friend tell his story but my best friend passed away of an overdose in 2017 a guy that played in the ohl named matthew lazinski who is also on the wall and that silver plaque up there you can't see it because it's engraved but that's him and so that was really the first story that i heard about a player you know that overdose he was a second rounder to the o played for the sioux and he's like man your guys' stories are so much alike the jail the everything and blah 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 and man it's crazy and so we were able to connect and we kind of decided i told him i was like man like then i literally two weeks after that phone call is when i found out about mitch the one i showed you earlier that guy that i played with 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 stamco so the combination of those two stories were really what pushed me to start puck support but from that moment on matt and i became you know very very close and so he's the owner of the maxville mustangs and he bugged me and bugged me and bugged me and bugged me man we got to get you back playing like come up here and so he was actually paying for my trips from Muskoka up to Morrisburg, where he lives, which is up near Ottawa. I think it's 45 minutes from Maxville or something. And I ended up going to stay up there with him for a couple of months and help him. He opened up a skate shop and I helped him open the skate shop and everything. And yeah, we become very close. We were having regular practices and we, you know, a couple guys on the ice, you know, Remy Ellie was out there who played for Dallas and Buffalo and was just recently played in the NHL and the American League. Good players, guys that played in the O and pretty good league. It was obviously really out of shape, but it was fun. And I do, you know, some part of me still wants to play if the season starts. It's kind of hard. I'm a little bit far away right now and, and all of that. Uh, but I definitely see myself putting on a Maxwell Mustang 
at least one time dusting off the rockets and, and coming out of retirement if, even if it's just for a day and yeah it should be fun but yeah you know what getting back on the ice even even though it was like holy cow am i out of shape these guys are good like was i ever that good and, and i was i mean some of the guys that i've been looking up to they never even played in the o they played like tier two junior which is no disrespect to them but you know or div three college or whatever which is still good hockey but it's like wow like i'm a I'm a step off. And so my confidence wasn't there. Obviously, I'm getting older and hadn't trained, but it was great to get back on the ice, just be in the dressing room with the guys and um, something that I certainly look forward to. And it's funny, if you look at the elite prospects there, it's and not anything since 2011, 2012. And even, you know, 2011, 2012 was a mini comeback to the Rio Grande Valley Killer Bees after not playing. I think I played like two games the two years before that, took a year off, was completely addicted. I went to treatment and I was there for eight or nine weeks and my dad picked me up at treatment and dropped me off at the airport and I went to Texas and played after not playing for two years and I did pretty well down there that league's not around anymore they've completely merged with the ECHL but yeah so there's not a whole lot there you know in the last 10 years I haven't played but it should be fun and there's it's full contact fighting all that so you know I, I used to like to shed the mitts quite a bit so who knows you know maybe I'll get one more fight under my belt and have some fun it's uh, something I'm looking forward to and being able to connect with Matt you know Matt Thompson Matthew Lazinski's you know best friend and just share that bond and you know I'm very close with the Lazinski family now Matt, the one who passed away is his parents and sister and a lot of cool relationships have come from it and I will say that Matt Thompson with the Maxwell Mustangs does an unbelievable job with that team like you play for that team, you got bags, you get tracks, you, they're paying you sticks for some guys if you're good enough. Some guys are getting skates, like there's a skate sharpener. It's just like playing in junior. It's, it's pretty cool. So they do a good job with it. And that league has actually expanded. The EOSHL is now there's a WS or whatever it is. And then there's also that league has kind of got a sister league or whatever out in Alberta that they hope once this all ends that like the winner of the two or three leagues in Ontario will play the winner of the league out in Alberta and kind of come together because the problem is anyone that knows senior hockey the Allen Cup is a you know a very very old trophy here in Canada that you know the winner of the senior team wins that well to be sanctioned for the Allen Cup you have to be around for five years and this is a new league so Maybe one day they'll be vying for the Allen Cup, but that's still a few years away and I'll be 38 or 39 and definitely not playing. So I uh, might as well get in the shifts while I can now. Before we uh, we ended off here, you teased it a little bit earlier, partnering with Mars Blade to going across Canada on rollerblades. Again, just to give us a little bit of insight into the idea behind that, especially the, the rollerblade specifically, and also how people can go and support it. Yeah, thanks for bringing it up first off. Yeah, so, you know, I mentioned, uh, you know, Sheldon Kennedy uh, earlier, and if anybody doesn't know who Sheldon Kennedy is, he was played in Swift Current for the Swift Current Broncos in the 80s, was one of the ones that was sexually abused by Graham James, that coach, same one that Theron Fleury was abused by, and just a terrible person. Anyways, back in 1998, Sheldon, he did it. He rollerbladed across Canada, and I was like 10 or 11 years old at the time, and, you know, I just remember he did it for sexual abuse awareness and i just remember being so inspired by him and even as a kid i was like man i would love to rollerblade across canada like i lived on my rollerblades as a kid that's what i did every single day 
I can't even tell you. I bet you I've rollerbladed across Canada 10 times in my life just with the amount of rollerblading that I did as a kid. I'm not even kidding. And so he inspired me because not only had I been sexually abused, but here was a hockey player saying, hey, I have been sexually abused. You're not alone. Even though it didn't give me the strength as a kid to come out and share it, I always felt very close to Sheldon. And then he, you know, came on my podcast and that very early on about this time last year. And, you know, so we've been able to become friends. And so I wanted to do something. I'm also from Port Coquitlam, which is the hometown of Terry Fox. So that's where I grew up, you know, Terry Fox. I didn't go to Terry Fox High School. There's two high schools in the town, Southside, Northside. I'm a Southside guy. There was that little rivalry, but Terry Fox Library, it's, you know, Terry Fox, it was the hometown run is always there every year. In my opinion, Canada's greatest hero ever. And so, you know, I don't ever compare myself to Terry Fox. Even if I rollerblade across the country a million times, it'd never be Terry Fox. I don't even want to be. He's in a conversation all by himself. But, you know, there's that tie there to and so, you know, he kind of always inspired me to, to show that, you know, you can do something like that. So the idea has been brewing for since I was a kid, really, but really kind of picked up steam in this last year. And then finally, it was like, you know what, like, you know, I made it past a year clean, which was something that I wasn't able to do for 10 years. I'd get like six months, seven months relapse, six months, seven months relapse. And so I got there and I was like, man, like, you know, starting to get this I don't know. I just feel a lot better. And I was like, I could talk about this stuff all day Could do all this stuff with puck support all day. But what can I do to show people that I'm going to actually put myself on the line to kind of try to lead the way to show, you know, that this can be done and why it's going to be done in the whole way I'm going to be doing it. And, you know, I'm going to be honoring every single one of those individuals you'll see on the puck support page picture, there's a collage and everybody in that picture has either died from overdose or suicide in, in the hockey community. So we're doing it to honor them, but also raise money and awareness. But when it came about, I didn't want to just announce, I wasn't gonna be like, Hey, like, I'm going to, I'm just going to do this. I had to get Sheldon Kennedy's permission first. So I contacted Sheldon and I was like, Hey, Sheldon, I know you've done this back in 1998. I'm not trying to be you. I don't want to copy you. But I think you know, it's it's coming up on 25 years since you did it. And I think we could do a lot of good with it. And he's like, yeah, I support you 100%. So there's been a couple guys reach out to me that want to skate with me at different parts. And you know, starting out in Newfoundland, Terry Ryan, I don't know if you guys follow spit and chicklets and that at all. But they did a road warriors out in Newfoundland. So Terry Ryan's a, a good friend of mine. He's going to skate Newfoundland with me, which is really cool. Uh, that's how we're going to kick off the journey. We're going to end in Poco, but a couple other guys too, you know, want to pick up along the way and, and do their home province and that. So, I mean, it's great. As far as how people can support it, we're currently getting the route down and getting where I'm going to be when and all of that stuff. So, I mean, right now, there's not too much people can do. I just started my first day of training, as I told you guys earlier today. Uh, but certainly if you follow Puck Support or, or my personal page, there'll be updates all along the way. And yeah, and I just, I appreciate, you know, if anybody, you know, hears this and when it is happening, if you know, if you know, I'm going to be rollerblading through your town or around or whatever, and you want to come and throw your blades on and skate with me, by all means, that's probably the biggest thing that I'm looking forward to is getting out there and connecting with people and them sharing their stories and, you know, seeing the kids, you know, rollerblading with me just, you know, and having the conversations with these kids. I just, who knows if I'm going to meet a kid who was sexually abused like I was that, you know, or a, a teenager who maybe is starting to slip down a, a slippery slope that I can, you know, have a conversation with or, you know, just sees that I'm doing that or even meet somebody else. It doesn't even have to come from me because I don't care. I'm not doing this for me. I could care less if anybody ever gave me credit for this or my name was attached to it. So if it just said puck support, rollerblade across Canada, and I could do it with a mask on and have no credit, I would. I, I could care less. But the thing is, is that 
when you do something like this, you know, you got to, to raise the awareness, to raise the money. There's got to be a face involved with it. And so I'm going to be that face as much as I can. But again, it's uh, I, I just would invite anybody that wants to, uh, once we get the route down, well, it'll be plenty of time in advance if they want to come out, support the cause and by rollerblading or whatever, that'd be great. And hopefully, I haven't told anybody this, so you guys are hearing this first. Hopefully, just talk to Rick Westhead from TSN. So hopefully, they're going to pick up the story and come, you know, start filming my, some of my training and then kind of follow along on the journey and stuff. So fingers crossed for that. But, you know, again, it's, I could care less if it's a story about me. I want the story to be about, you know, guys like Mitch and Matthew and Todd Ewan and Rick Rippin and Bugard and all those guys. And just hopefully that we can, you know, change the world one person at a time. An amazing and inspirational story. And honestly, if there's any way that we could help on our end, any way that we can use our platform to further promote this event and the cause, just please let us know. And anything you need, we're always here. Awesome. I appreciate that, guys. And and likewise, you know, like don't hesitate to shoot me a message or whatever. If you have anything I can do to help uh, you guys grow this podcast or, or anything that's coming down the pipe in the future, by all means, don't hesitate. I'm here for you guys as well. So, and I mean that. I'm not just saying that. People say that because they feel like they have to. I'm one of these guys, and you'll see that lives up to his word. And I wasn't always like that, but I'm proud to be like that today. Beautiful. Honestly, we like, buddy, we'd like to thank you so much for coming on. Such an amazing story. And honestly, one of the most powerful and one, uh, most inspiring interviews that we've done on this show and that I've done in the eight months of, I've started podcasting. Thank you. Hey, my pleasure, guys. All right. Take it easy. We hope you guys enjoy the interview. Honestly, like I mentioned earlier, such an amazing story, inspirational, and just shows the healing power of the hockey world, how the hockey world can come together to support a good cause. Back to business. It's, it was announced earlier this week that Bobby Lou, Roberto Luongo will be uh, named Team Canada's GM for the upcoming World Championship with uh, Arizona Fe or Phoenix Coyote legend Shane Doan backing him up as the assistant. So honestly, just quick take on this uh, from you guys. I'm glad to see that Luongo's back and showing his face in the hockey world. Such a great personality, such a great follow on Twitter, Strong Bone. Shane Doan, he just got back with Arizona this year and I forgot what the position is. But I'm glad to see he's making his strides in the in the management world. Good on both of them. Interested to see what happens this year in the World Championship. If we even have one. God forbid it gets postponed or cancelled because of the pandemic. I'll throw my quick take on there. I'm, I'm happy to see Luongo back in the hockey scene. Like you said, some of the stuff he posts on Twitter when he's watching other games or when other news breaks. He's just a comedian. And to see him back in the hockey world, you know, he's a good personality that everybody loves. Nobody's really said anything bad about him. And... Shane Doan, he, he was kind of, to me, he was like another Mr. Serious, like another Jonathan Tay sort of guy. So I think th those two are going to work well together and hopefully bring Canada home another championship. Speaking of Captain Serious, did you see that uh, some news actually came out about uh, Taves? He's done for the season, but he's hoping to be back and expected to be back for next season? Yeah, I saw that, yeah. yeah. I'm curious if we're ever going to find out what's wrong with him. I don't know. Something that serious might not come out. You never it's know. more on the mental aspect, personally. I want to speculate on that. We have no evidence to back that up, but... Exactly, yeah. Like, this is all just speculation, and obviously, if anything is wrong, like, we wish him all the best, and we, like, we do wish him speedy recovery, because he's another guy, my opinion, first ballot Hall of Famer. Oh, definitely. Anyway, sorry, Joey, go ahead. Yeah, no, like, I'm up the same i thought of uh, robbie lou coming back into the hockey world i'd always imagined him being on the entertainment part i never thought of him as a office job but you know nonetheless uh, i'm excited to see what he could do 
to add that aspect of the game. Obviously, he was a fantastic goalie, one of the greats, and great guy. Like Elmuff said, nobody has anything bad to say about that guy. I wish him all the best and in his general manager position, and hopefully he can win us another gold. Like you mentioned, he's a, he's a complete comedian, and tell me if this would not be the best like show just in the sports world. Have like a Jay and Dan style show, but like a hockey, a strictly hockey version of Jay and Dan with Bobby Lamont Lou and Bizonette. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I knew exactly. As soon as you said, "Picture this," like <laughs> yes, I knew it. Completely un, but like it has to be a completely uncensored. Un, oh no! Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has Just to be uncensored. We have to have that Luongo and Biz. Like I would love to see. Like obviously, I, I'm a huge Hicklets fan. Like I, I've, I watch every episode start to finish. But like I would love to see even though even if it's not a TV show, like, I'd love to see a podcast with Luongo and Biz, just the two of them just going yeah. at each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's one comedy act after another. Mm-hmm. I can picture the jokes flying now. Like, could you imagine? Oh, we gotta get it going. Get them both on uh, on Twigs and Twine. See if we can get a little precursor going. We'll work on that. See if. Uh, See if Bobby uh, is willing to come on. Moving on now. Patty Marlowe, he broke the all-time games record that was held by Gordie Howe since 1980 when he played his final game at 52 years and 10 days old with the Hartford Whalers. Also, coincidentally, at the same time, his last season playing in the All-Star game, which was his first season back since retiring with the Red Wings, came back in the WHA, played one season in the NHL for Hartford with his sons, also got an all-star appearance at the Joe Louis Arena in its inaugural season, if I'm not mistaken. Playing with Gretzky, which honestly, like I saw that. I'm, I remember watching that Gordie Howe biopic. And my God, what an amazing story that guy has. I read his book, saw the show. And what are those two guys' names? Dylan Playfair and Andrew Hare. I want Hare, I want to say his name is. Their names are the guys from Letterkenny, the two hockey players from Letterkenny. Oh, yeah, yeah, Did yeah, a yeah. great job as Mark and Marty. There's a reason why he's Mr. Hockey, eh? I'm trying to remember. Was it? There's no chance. It, who played... Uh, Gordy in that. I'm trying to remember his name. I'm looking it up right now because Michael Shanks. He did. A, he's another one that did a great job playing. Like, I don't know. My first sec, my first thought when I thought thought of that was Jared Kiso, but no, he played Don Cherry in the Don Cherry story. Actually, that's another one. Getting back to Luongo and Biz. Luongo Biz with special appearances by uh, Don Cherry. That's just a shit show another, waiting to happen. That'd be another good one. Yeah. Anyways, so yeah, Patty Marlowe, congratulations on Bree. He broke the all-time record. I want to say 1762 games believe so i love how we're so slow on these facts you would have thought we would have done our prep work we do our prep work but like at the same time we're not the type of show just to have all facts based like obviously like we try but like just more of the conversation like yeah we'll get stats for some of it we'll get the stats out eventually just yeah, might not be yeah. right off the bat might have to go on it, a little tangent it's when, you, it's when you hear those like four second blanks nobody said anything and you hear like the little subtle clicks in the background that's why we have producer joshua now which uh, also we'd like to thank our old producer bobby for all of his work on the show like such an amazing guy and it's sad to see him go but we know he's on the bigger and better things still we'll keep in touch and uh, we'd like to welcome our producer our new producer uh, joshua onto the show like we were talking about we'll get the facts out just it's more about the conversation exactly but with Pat- patty marlowe on a serious topic playing over 1700 NHL games. I don't care who you are. That's really damn impressive. Hasn't he played like 800 straight? 
whatever it is, like throw a number out there and it's damn impressive. You know, not everybody makes it to the NHL. It's the hardest league to make and then to go and play a game in the NHL, then to last a season and so on and so forth. But when you play 22 seasons and 1,700 games, it's just really remarkable. And we know he puts in the work to stay game ready day in and day out and, you know, hope for the best for him. Yeah, exactly. Joey, go ahead. Yeah, no, nobody else has done it. And it's crazy to even, like, think about playing one game. I can't even imagine 1,700 plus. So good on Paddy Marlowe. He's a class act, great guy, fantastic hockey player. Record breaker now. It's uh, unfathomable to think how somebody could play 1,700 hockey games, especially at the NHL level. Nothing but good things I have to say about Patrick Marlowe. And obviously, congratulations. And think of it, he's well, he's 41 right now, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, 41. 22 years in the show, drafted at 18, started at 19. But yeah, think of it, and obviously this is most likely not going to happen. You never know, but I feel like it's not going to happen. Imagine if he played another five years. Break like, 2000? At this point, why, why not? It's like, fuck. Why not? Make it happen. If teams keep signing him, which if the Sharks keep signing him every year, I'm sure he will do it. I'm sure he'll go until he wins a cup. At the very least, I'm sure he's going to keep going until he wins a cup or he breaks something. I'd love to see it, but the amount of preparation. I remember uh, a buddy telling me when Wayne Gretzky decided to hang up the skates. For him to keep up with the pace that the players were playing at, at in the late 90s, he had to train like four hours a day consistently. And if Patrick's willing to put in those kind of hours, that takes a toll on you mentally and physically. And if he's willing to put in those hours and he still loves the game, which he obviously does, then that would be... There's no yeah. way to describe yeah. it other than just passion and love for the game. Yeah. He was celebrated all over the league. Like They had an amazing ceremony for him. And I want to say it was in Vegas. The way the schedule was made up, that he broke the, the record at an away game. He, couldn't, he didn't even break it at home. Can you imagine? He's just like, hey, let me sit out one game. Hmm. Let me break my Ironman streak, which is now at 900 games. Actually, yeah, that's kind of stupid. Yeah, he's one who's gonna end up breaking the all-time Ironman streak. Like him and Keith Yandel, they're they're gonna be neck and neck. Keith Yandel is nine hundred, and last I heard was forty-eight, but that was a little bit ago. I thought he was like nine twenty. I thought it was nine forty-eight. I may be wrong. Regardless, such an amazing accomplishment. He continues to do what he loves, day in and day out, which I have nothing but respect for the guy. And yeah, he was celebrated all over the league. Tweets coming in from players that he played with, that he played against. Like Kevin Bx had a funny one, and also I think best tweet coming from a team, the uh, the Hurricanes. Saying congratulations to a Canes legend in Patty Marlowe for the six hours he was on that team and the and the seven million bucks he got paid. <laughs> the most impactful Canes player to ever touch that organization, if you ask me. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, and also I think best of all from those congratulatory messages was the one coming out of uh, Toronto with Austin and Mitch congratulating him on his amazing achievement, and then only to see Joe Thornton come out. With it holding his stick with a mask on and his wrench hanging out that they had to blur out just hanging out through uh for everybody to see do you expect anything different not at all not at all oh, Joe. the only thing is it concerns me how long austin and mitch looked at him <laughs> that's, the only, that's the only question i have with that video nhlers right They're a little bit different i think it's a little bit different when i bet you that guy's got his wrench out 24 7 when like they're in the locker room so trying not to picture that right now <laughs> Can you go on to the next topic, please? <laughs>
Anyways, uh, yeah, staying, speaking of Toronto. So Zach Hyman, he's out with the MCL yeah, sprain yeah. out for two weeks. There's been a lot of talk around him, especially considering he's a UFA at the end of the season. And uh, Sitsixero ended up saying today that... This was earlier in the week. Uh, my mistake, my mistake. So Sitsixero, who surprisingly is still with the sports world, considering that he decided to go and take a cushy job over at uh, BT, nice. leaving Tim to, to out to dry mention how or he claims that zach hyman might be the most important leaf on that roster which something like that it's a contract year people have been comparing his upcoming contract to the likes of the brendan gallagher contract six and a half million for six years i can't see that happening i don't see him making six and a half mil he's making 2.75 over the end of a five-year deal i want to say and i don't see him making that six and a half this could also lead into the goaltending with freddie anderson which was why another reason why i see freddie being gone i think he's gonna end up signing on a five-year deal at four million bucks a year well hyman you yeah. mean yeah i do think that he like he loves it here obviously it's his home he's a hometown kid first off i don't think they can they won't be able to afford it if it's a six and a half million dollar contract they will not be able to afford it without getting rid of half their team because the top four the Nylander, Tavares, Marner, Matthews, they're basically untouchable. Well, Tavares, Marner, Matthews are untouchable. Nylander, not so much. I don't think any of them are going to be gone. He's going to get a raise guaranteed. He's going to get a pretty decent raise, either a four or four and a half on a five-year deal or on a two-year deal, just until the cap goes up. So that once the cap goes up, he can sign for that $5 million, $6 million, whatever. I do think he's worth it. I like By all means, I do think he is worth, not six and a half, I'd say five and a half to six on the high side. But... I don't think he's the most important leaf on that roster. I put that out to Austin, but second best leaf on that team by yeah. far. He put he's yeah. he's the perfect guy, the guy that anyone any team would love to have. Hard nose, willing to go in the corners, willing to bleed for his team. Hand it off to the boys. Start with Alex. I'll, I'm going to agree that every team wants him, and that he's going to be hard to keep around. The only thing is, he signs. The most likely, I would think, is he takes his two or three years, like you said, for his cap to go up. He'll sign a nice, a good deal. I want to say six. I think I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with six here. Six at maybe three years. The thing is, he could probably squeeze in another solid contract if he keeps up this pace. So it'll be, you know, 30, 31 years old, granted, when his birthday is June 9th. So 31 years old or so, he may be able to get another good contract that'll secure him financially. It's just, I truly do think he wants to stay in Toronto and he'll be willing to take a cut. Would it sit right with him? Possibly not, only because he's seen Marner, Matthews, all these guys get these pretty hefty contracts. And I think he feels, hey, you know what? My payday's coming up here and I've earned it myself try to get as much out of it as he can. But I do think it's possible that he takes a hometown discount. What did you say his prior, uh, his uh, finance was, or the money was, the value? Uh, two and a quarter on a five-year deal. Two and a quarter on a five. I'd say maybe he stays for four and a half. On what term? I'd say three years. The cap would be hopefully going up after, not next season, the season after. No, that's the thing. The oh, no, sorry, year- no, no. Yeah, because this upcoming offseason will be year two. Yeah, so sorry, not after next season, after the season after uh, the season after that. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you make that point where the cap's gonna rise, so he has the opportunity to make more money. And if he's able to keep up this pace of points and how well he's been playing, he's such a workhorse on the ice, and he's one of those energy guys that knows how to. Well, this year he's demonstrated he knows how to put the puck in the net. If he's able to keep it up, 
I wouldn't see why not. He can make another good contract down the road. I mean, yeah, he's on a 30-goal pace also, take into account. He's got 15 goals in 43 games. I think it's likely, man. I don't know. You, you may disagree with me and by all means, but I think it works. Joey? I don't know who said this, but somebody on TSN said Zach Hyman's almost working his way out of a, a spot on the Leafs. And I think that holds true. This guy is a Swiss Army knife. He can do anything. Is he the most important player on the team? No. Obviously, that's AM34. However, he does come a close second. If you look at every special team this team has, Keith loves Hyman. Puts him on the power play, puts him on the penalty kill. Five on three, extra man. This guy is always on the ice. He's a workhorse. He does the job that nobody wants to do, and he does it exceptionally well. There's nobody in the league like him when it comes to being a role player. I personally think he's solidified himself as the best role player in the league when it comes to contract talk so like how muff said he's a hometown boy he loves it in toronto been here his whole life will he take a pay cut i think he has it in him will it sit right absolutely not not judging his character at all he's a great guy but how would you feel if you were the odd man out that had to take the pay cut when marner took 11 matthews took 13 Tavares yeah. is out of 11. Matthews didn't take 13. Or not 13. Like David. Took 11. Well, took 11, yeah. Took 11, 100%. 6, I think. Yeah. So you're that He's odd just... man out, and they're expecting you to take the pay cut. It won't sit well with him. Will he do it? I think he will. However, he is going to be losing out on a lot of money because a lot of teams are willing to pay that 6.5 for him. Yeah, I think he's a $6.5 million player, personally. Are you talking re-signing in Toronto, or are you talking in the open market? No, I'm talking about anywhere. I'm, if he doesn't sign in Toronto, like you said, Toronto's going to have to give up too much to be able to give him that 6.5. If it's not Toronto, a t- I promise you a team out there will be willing to give him 6.5. I hope to see Hyman back in Toronto, but I wouldn't put all my trust into it. Yes. On the open market, people will be willing to pay for a player of his capabilities. Kind of a hot take. I think on the open market, he gets eight. Okay, shut up. Let's not be stupid now. Because look at a guy like Marshawn. They're two complete different players. I think also Gallagher, when did he sign his contract? I'm thinking, what, three years ago? I think I have it here. Three years is about right. So think about it. How much is the cap going up in those three years? You can't talk dollars with players. Like We talked about this with Rand Simon about uh, a couple months ago. Percentages. It's percentages, exactly. Also, on the open market as a UFA at 29, I know that people will pay a premium for versatile players who can play up and down the lineup, who can put up points, who can hit, who can bang and crash, who can go and go into those dirty areas that no one's willing to go to. Because now that the league's becoming more finesse, players like a Hyman or a Gallagher or a Marshawn, they're a dying breed. They're people, who, there's not many people who are willing to go in and do all that, which is why, like, I even look to a guy like a Matthew Kachuk, a guy who could put up points, who can hit, who could fight, who could do everything. Hyman, I have all the respect in the world for that guy. I love him as a player. That guy can do literally everything. He could score. He could hit. He could fight. He could put his body on the line. We've seen it so many times over the past, what has it been, five years? More. It's been, yeah, no, it's been five years, actually. Yeah. One, two, three. This is his sixth season in Toronto. That's why I think like that he can get an $8 million contract. Not $8 million long term, but I'm thinking he can get like $8 million on a, and by long term, I mean seven, six, seven years. I'm thinking... He can get an eight by four. That'll bring him right into his age 34 year. I think teams are looking for that, especially after you've seen what happens with 
a team like St. Louis who have had guys who can score and who can hit. Even like a guy like a Tom Wilson. I'm not saying they're the same player, but I'm saying like he's a comparable. The way that he plays, the amount of grit that he plays with, and the scoring capability, which is why I think that you can go and justify that. Actually, I'm curious who his agent even is uh, for Hyman. That is a hot take, eight million. I think that's a little pricey for Hyman. Yeah. However, I think he could go for seven. I wouldn't say eight; I'd say seven. But again, there have been crazier contracts done. So I think a comparable with Gallagher is kind of perfect. I can't. Eight is like stupid, like stupid. High seven, you're kind of you're getting there, but six or six and a half, however or whatever they're willing to settle it on, I think seems reasonable to me. I don't know. I can't see teams be willing to pay eight million dollars for him. All right, so I'm on cap friendly right now, and when Gallagher signed that contract in 2014, he signed that contract. He's actually on an expiring deal too, Gallagher. When he signed that contract, that was 5.43 percent of the cap. The cap's 81.5, right? Yeah, I think that sounds about right. Times 0. 0.054. 81.5 million. Why, how is that saying that the... No, by that, by that logic, the cap went down. Cap hit percentage. Oh, sorry. I apologize. That was a different contract. That's what he signed for 3 million bucks. 798. My thinking here was with the inflation was completely different. But regardless, I think on the open market, teams are willing to pay stupid amounts of money for players. I think it's extremely possible. For example, like... Artemi Panarin, I don't think he's worth 11.6 or whatever he signed for. 11. Oh, God, no, no. Exactly. Like, when there's co- players who play coveted roles, like a scoring player, a player who could score, or a right-handed defenseman, or a guy who's versatile, who is an energy winger, who can also take face-offs. Like, don't forget that Hyman has had time at center on the penalty kill. He knows how to take face-offs. He's being trained by one of the best face-off men in the past 20 years, in Manny Malhotra. Yeah. Fair enough. I know it's a very, it is a very hot take. It can go back and forth. It can go both ways. But my honest opinion is that he's going to end up signing for two years on a $4 million contract. 4.5 to double his salary. Yeah. If he signs that, I think Freddie's gone. Because I think Freddie's going to ask for 7 to 8 million. This summer is going to be very interesting for the boys in blue. Because I think that next year is going to be a completely different team. I think it's going to be completely different. An unfamiliar team. That's for sure. Yeah. Every year's been an unfamiliar team. Uh, yeah, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Half the four core has changed up this year compared to the start of last year. The D core, even the D core, like Hall, yeah, Hall, Hall never played last year. Bogosian, he we signed him. Brody, we saw, uh, signed him. Yeah, half of it's new. Yeah. That's kind of a good transition to our next topic. Can Sandine be in the lineup full-time when Bogosian returns? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Right, right there with Joey. I was just saying, I've been watching Sandine closely. These past couple games, only because my dad doesn't seem to like him. So every time he's on the ice, he always points out Sandine. So I'm watching him too. And I'm just in an awe. This guy, the plays he makes, the passes he makes, most times they go unnoticed because they don't score. But almost every, I'm not going to say almost every time, but a good amount of times where this guy has the puck, a scoring opportunity is born. The guy knows the game. He knows how to play. He's been waiting a long time for this shot to play in the National League. I think he's ready. I don't think he's ever been more ready. I love the way he plays. I love it. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I haven't been able to watch the past few games because I've been busy with school, with some other stuff. But what I have seen of Sandin, like, yeah, like you mentioned, and he's only getting better. I remember when people, when Lilligren was first drafted, everyone was so hot, like hyped up on him. But I think like Sandin has genuine potential of making a 
big impact on this team and in this league as, as a high top four defenseman. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I watched this game today. I knew Sandine, well, Gojin's out. He's going to have a bigger role. And we saw halfway through the game that Keith put him on the first power play line to QB that. And I think it was the best possible move for one reason. I think this is your one shot to make sure that he continues to have high potential. I think if you let him come up to the NHL and you bury him and once Bogosian comes back, you send him back to the minors, he's done. He's not going to come back from this. I so think Bogosian's is- gone for the season. Yeah, no, I, he is, but he's going to be coming back for playoffs. No, I don't think he's going to be playing in the playoffs, I'm saying. My first thought is he's not going to end up playing because he is older. I don't think he can get back up to game speed through practices. Like I don't know if, if Toronto will want to risk that in the playoffs. I think a guy like Riley Nash coming back for the playoffs is more likely to be able to come in there and make an impact. But also at the same time, this would all have to depend on the play of Rasmus Sandin, even actually in the play of Travis Dermott. Because if Dermott were to falter, I think Bogosian would take that place in a second. Yeah, I, I like Dermot in that lineup. He's able to give a good change of pace, in my opinion. He's a different defense. He can handle the puck. He has speed. I don't know. I like him in the lineup on the bottom six there. We'd like to thank you guys for tuning in to episode 11 of Twigs and Twine, again featuring Brady Leovold. Once the uh, this episode comes out, we're going to start posting all the links to his pages, all the links to his Cross Canada rollerblading journey as soon as everything comes out we're going to keep everybody in the loop on how you could support how you can donate anything we could find on how to support mental health research and substance abuse uh, and advocating for substance abuse and mental health uh, research anyways all right boys have a good week i hope you guys all enjoyed take it easy take care Wolf.